You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? That's what we're talking about. Uh, And this is what what we're getting into for the series. This season is uh, Epiphany. It's the season of Epiphany. Between Christmas and Lent and Easter is a, is a small season known as Epiphany. They've been around for there for a long time. Um, and it really is all about Jesus revealing himself to the world. Not just to God's chosen people, but to the whole world, including us. And so it was a season for Christians to get a fresh vision of who Jesus is in their life and in their world. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take that. We're just going to look at sea language. Jesus uses a lot of seeing language, light, darkness language, eyeball language. You saw in that last picture, uh, that last quote. Um, And so we're going to look at that, especially there's a concentration of it in Luke 11 and 12. So we're going to spend the next five weeks there. And the, the, the end of it is this, what does Jesus teach us about how we can really see the real him? That's what we're all trying to do. Trying to really see the real him. Because there's two dangers. One danger is we don't see him at all. We miss him entirely. And that's heartbreaking. The other danger is that we think we got it all under control and we put Jesus in this little box and what we see is the own, our own box that we made, an idol of our own creation. And Jesus desperately wants us to see the real him. And so let's take some time going through his teaching about himself when it comes to light, seeing, darkness, eyes, language. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. It's just like normal texting. If you text your friends and family, text this number if you have a question. It'll be on the bottom of each slide. I'll do my best to get to those at the end, certainly by the end of the week. Here's our bad news before we get to the good news, because I think if we can better understand the bad news, we could better receive the good news of the gospel. And today I think it's this. We often assume real faith is blind faith. And so we have a a, a nose to the grindstone kind of attitude about this following Jesus thing where we just got to plug along and hopefully every once in a while Jesus throws us some morsels, but probably not. And so we just, if we can just accept blind faith, It'll just be better for everyone. We even have these sayings, right? The Lord works in every human being on the planet knows that. You know what Bible verse that is? Not one. It's not a Bible verse. It's one we made up. It came about in like the 1870s. It's not even that old. Um, I like how the closer I get to 40, I'm like, 1870 was yesterday. Um <laughs> Not a Bible verse at all, but we all know it. It comes from a poem back in the middle of the 1800s. But it's just a a belief that our society has that blind faith that we just, what are we going to do? God's just out there somewhere doing whatever God wants to do and pretty much unknowable and we just accept it and we just accept that that's the reality and I don't think that's what Jesus wants to teach us today. We actually have a reasonable faith system. There is a lot about our faith that is reasonable. 
And because we know and believe that Christ is real, we also know and believe that Christ reveals himself to us. Not only is he real, but he reveals himself to us. Jesus is the removing of the mystery of who God is. And so we get this in scripture and we get this experience in our daily life. It is not all blind faith. Let's read some scripture together to get into it. It's a weird passage, everybody. Please put on our thinking caps today. We'll go through it. We'll hash it out. Page 793, if you're using the Pew Bible or um, Luke 11, starting in chapter, uh, verse 29. He, Jesus is going to allude to two Old Testament stories that we'll flesh out here quickly. And he's got a point to make. Mm-mm-mm. Hear now the word of the Lord for the people of God. Verse 29 Am I in the right spot? Did I say Luke 29? Luke 11, 29. Yeah, there we go. We're, I'm in the right spot. Ooh, this, come on, coffee. Let's go. 29. When the crowds grew, already a problem for Jesus. He does not like it when these crowds are growing. Do you see him? It's the opposite of our world. We want crowds to grow. Jesus is already frustrated. He's battling the religious leaders, and now the crowds are showing up. Not what he wanted. Do you see him? Jesus said, This generation is an evil generation. It looks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except Jonah's sign. Just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the human one, or older translation, so so the son of man, will be a sign to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment day with the people of this generation and that queen will condemn this generation because she came from a distant land to hear Solomon's wisdom. And look, see, behold, he says, someone greater than Solomon is here. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn this generation because they repented. They changed their hearts and lives in response to Jonah's preaching. And one greater than Jonah is here. That is the word of the Lord for the people of God today. Let's break down what Jesus is saying. Pastor James is a giant nerd. I don't have my slide. Who is the queen of the south? Who is Jonah? Who is Nineveh? Let's get into each one of these. The queen of the south was essentially queen of a region in Ethiopia. And she had heard, you can read all about this in 1 Kings 10, if you'd like. To go back there, it's basically the whole chapter, the first half of the chapter. And basically it tells this story about how this queen in Africa, down here, traveled to Jerusalem because she had heard about Solomon and how great his empire was and how wise he was and how prosperous the Lord had made him. And she says, I had to see it for myself. And she asked him every question she could ask him. And it says that he gave every answer that was satisfying to her. And she dropped off a whole load of wealth, riches, and spices. And she said, surely the God of Israel has blessed this place. And she left rejoicing and worshiping. A ton of tradition has come out of that. But that's the story uh, about the queen who traveled from Africa. So if you were driving, it's 55 hours. I checked Google Maps. 
if you're walking, it's 37 days. So she travels, and that's, that's, that's by myself. With a caravan, if I had to take my kids with me, triple it. Um, 37 days to go hear about the goodness of God. That had, that the rumors had spread all the way down to her kingdom. And Jesus says, Jesus says, the queen came to see and hear what God had done, and God had proved it to her that he had done it, and she blessed God, and because she responded to what she had seen, she is going to rise up in the judgment when we all rise up, and she's going to judge Israel. The people, this outsider, this Gentile is going to judge God's people because they're not responding as good as she is and Jesus is in front of them. All they had was Solomon and God stands in the midst of them and they are not reacting as nearly as well as the queen has. He tells the same story from the position of Jonah. Here's some backstory if you don't know. The nation of Israel was once one kingdom. And then Solomon actually was such a bad king. He was the wisest man in the world at that time, but not so wise that he couldn't manage things in a way that didn't lead to the division of his whole country. And when he died, his whole country divided. And it turns into two kingdoms. There's the north and the south. The north is 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. The south is two, one and a half, depending on how you count. This is the faithful side. This is the side that comes about and brings about Jesus. This is the unfaithful side. What happens is, I mean, there's lots of attacks and wars, but ultimately the big, bad empire of Assyria, there's Israel, there's Assyria. Their capital city is Nineveh, the heart of the big, bad empire one of God's people's greatest enemy. Again, if you need another picture, that's in Assyria bearing down on this little place. This was such a hotbed, as you know, right now, of activity because a lot of people wanted to go to Egypt and a lot of people wanted to be in Asia and it was just a major trading route. And so Assyria attacks the north and the north disappears forever. We still, they call them the lost tribes of Israel. We still do not know where they, the only remaining faithful tribe is Judah, where we get the word Jew from and Judaism. And this is the tribe Jesus comes from. And Jonah the prophet was sent to Assyria, to the bad guys, to the enemies, not just to Assyria, to the heart of the city. And he was furious about it. Our enemies don't deserve God's grace. God says, I'm going to destroy the whole place. Go tell them. Go tell them I'm going to wipe the whole empire off the map. And Jonah says, they don't deserve the warning. And so he goes in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and that's how he gets in that fish, right? The whale, whatever story you learned. He gets in the belly of that big fish, that big whale, because he rebelled against God, and the fish spits him up into Assyria. After he repents... He walks into the heart of the enemy's empire and he says three words in Hebrew. He says, repent, destruction. And they fall on their faces immediately. This is a story. This is a parable, parabolic, prophetic story. 
They fall on their faces immediately and begin to repent. Even the cows repent, the story tells us. And Jonah is furious about it. And he goes out in the desert and he sits under a plant and he weeps and moans and he's ready to starve himself to death because he just cannot believe that God would love even them and that they would respond so quickly to a prophecy of the Lord. And God changes his heart and mind too about that. And that's the, that's the moral of the story of Jonah is that God can love whoever God wants to love and we just better get on over it. And Jesus says, and Jesus says, Nineveh, your greatest enemy who wiped out 10 twelfths of your people, reduce that fraction, five-sixths of your people, Nineveh will rise up on the day of judgment and judge you. Because when they saw the Lord and when they heard the word of the Lord, they repented and you do not. And something greater than Jonah is in your midst, me, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. That's what he's saying. And then he's got one more little mysterious thing he's saying, the sign of Jonah. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is what he's talking. He says, you've been asking for signs. You're not going to get any except one. Jonah was in the, this is, this is in Jonah chapter one, the book of Jonah chapter one. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus says, this is the only sign you're going to get. He says, so the son of man, the human one, will be a sign to this generation because he will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Easter, resurrection, Jesus is going to die and be raised, spit out of the fish earth's mouth. Jesus is very poetic. I will be spit out of the earth. I'll be spit out of death. I'll be spit out of chaos into resurrection life, into Easter life. This is the only sign you're going to get, this wicked generation who demands more and more miracles when something greater is in your midst. And these Gentiles figured it out, right? Nineveh and the queen, these outsiders, these non-Jews, these Gentiles, they rise up and judge you because they responded in faith to what God had shown them in the word that God had gave them. Yes, why? Why will they judge this generation? Because look, someone greater is in your midst and you are not seeing it. You are not responding in faith to what you've been shown. And so you'll be judged. Harsh passage, two Old Testament weird stories. Jesus has got a point to make. As always, you know how I preach three points Head, heart, hands, something for us to know, feel, do. I know you feel like you've already gotten a whole sermon already, but I got three more points to give you because how does that all apply to us, right? So something for us to know, something for us to feel, something for us to do. These are the three questions I ask of every text that I approach. What is God trying to show us? What does God want us to experience? Because if the information doesn't move to our heart, it's basically worthless. And if the if transformation doesn't turn to action, then it just gets stuck inside of us. So it's got to flow to us, through us, and out into the world. Here's what I feel like God's talking to me through this passage with this season of epiphany. God doesn't expect blind faith, but God does expect us to respond in faith to what we have seen. God will, I'll just say it again. God doesn't expect blind faith, but he does expect you to respond in faith 
to what you have seen. We believe wholeheartedly that God is constantly with us. It is often our blindness that prevents us from seeing God who is with us at all times. But we do believe that God breaks through that blindness and he shows himself. We believe God's showing himself to everybody. Everybody. And God has an expectation, a firm expectation, that we would respond in faith to what he has shown us. As we've said, the queen of the south. She saw, she heard, and she came and saw that she blessed the Lord and she will be elevated in the last days. The people of Nineveh changed their hearts and lights because of what they heard and because of what they saw in Jonah, the sign of Jonah. They responded to what they heard and saw and Jesus elevate them, elevates them as examples for the faith. And look, and look, he says it twice, and look, something is greater. Something is greater. God's fullest wisdom, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. Now we believe that God's fullest wisdom is now revealed to us in Jesus. God sent prophets in the days of old to tell us what God wanted us to know, but now Hebrews tells us God sent his son. The fullest message of what God wants to say to the world is found in Jesus. Jesus is God's wisdom and God's message to the world. Uh, I read a story about a guy skydiving without a parachute. He jumped out of a plane at 25,000 feet in the air, five miles up, no parachute. And you're like, that feels like a leap of faith. Blind faith. If you can't tell from this pixelated picture, there's a net down there. He's trying to hit a net that's 100 feet by 100 feet, which is not very big. And everyone said, please don't do this. He wanted to record it, put it out on like some, some TV stations. Hollywood called him. All the unions said, we will not allow you. Five minutes up until he was, he was in the air. And they finally were like, I guess go for it. Can we put like a 30-second delay so we don't accidentally live stream somebody hitting the ground at 120 miles per hour? And he was like, fine, go ahead, I guess. But I'm jumping, and I want it on TV. And so he jumps. And here's just, I don't know, 15 seconds of how that ended up. <laughs> Sorry. He hits the net, everybody. I would not. <laughs> the last second he flips over. Not! Not the middle, though. He hit it. He hit it. He gets down. Can I just... Look how close he was. Sorry, I'm going to make you watch it again. Look how close he is to the edge. That's too close for me. Everyone said he was a fool. He gave a quote afterwards. He said, I've had 18,000 jumps. I've done stunts in movies with Iron Man and things like that. This is the quote he gave. Whenever pe uh, people attempt to push limits of what's considered humanly possible, they're invariably described as crazy. My vision was always proper preparation and that if you train right, you can make anything happen. Not blind faith. Not a leap of faith. 
He practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced, and he wants to communicate to the world that it was not as foolish as everybody thinks it was. I mean, still. He had a four-year-old. I'm like, come on, man. Wait till that kid. Wait till that kid gets to college, at least. I think the thing he teaches us is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Faith always requires risk, but it's not always a blind leap. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to talk to us about. And if you have that belief about faith, then then your relationship to this faith is going to be not what Jesus wants for you. If you just go, I just got to, I just, I got to believe it. And I'm just going to muscle it out. Jesus is saying, I'm showing myself to you. Show, look, 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 and respond to what you see. That's the kind of faith that we have. Constant, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and taste. There's experience here and God wants you to have it. In our story, Jesus elevates and condemns people based on not blind faith, but how they respond to things that they saw. What does God want us to feel? What does God want us to experience? For me, it's this. Seeing, hearing, these sense, sense, sense things, sensational things, that's not the right word, um, is about being receptive, not reactive. I think there's a couple ways we can walk through our world, and Jesus is encouraging us to be more receptive than reactive. Jesus is in the middle of fighting two different people. He's got the religious leaders that are saying, you must be from Satan. This is the story right before this. You must be from Satan because you are able to command the demons. It only makes sense. You're some high-ranking general in the satanic army. And Jesus goes, hold on. What? Why would I be killing these demons if they were like on my team? So he's arguing with these religious leaders who are reactive. They're ready to fight because he's a threat to their power, but he's also got the crowds on the other side that just want more from him. They want to take from him. They want to take from him. We see this in the beginning. When the crowds came, Jesus, every time the crowds get too big, Jesus says something wild. John 6, crowds too big. He's like, did you guys know you have to eat my flesh to be a part of this movement? And they're like, see, I got to go. I'm out. Cannibalism? No, thank you. Here he's like, he sees the crowds and he turns around and he's like, you are wicked and evil. And your motive is only a sign. I mean, just a couple chapters ago, he just fed 5,000 people bread. They just want more bread. They want more miraculous bread. And Jesus is trying to say, I'm the bread that satisfies everything. I can give you more bread, but it doesn't satisfy. And the crowds show up looking for bread and Jesus has got to weed, weed out all those people with bad intentions. Reactive. The crowds and the religious leaders are reactive. Reactive. Crowds want more miracles. The religious leaders are feeling an attack to their power. Reactive. In a lot of places, they talk about reactivity like this, the four Fs. Fight, flight, flee, freeze, fawn. Fawn means like flatter, flattery. That's me. If things get dangerous, I'm like, you're really handsome. You're so tall and strong. I could talk my way out of this. I'm going to fawn my way out of this. Um, this is reactivity. We just walk through life ready to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn our way through it. Everything is a potential threat. We've got to keep our guards up and our walls up. And Jesus tells these types of people they don't get it. They're going to miss it. Jesus tells these people, supposedly God's people, that they don't get it. They're missing it. 
the outsiders, the Gentiles, the people that have not received God's law, that have not received Moses, that have received the prophets, they got it better than you. And I'm standing in your midst. Look, not just for signs, not just for threats. Look, look past, look deeper. Jesus wants us to be people who are receptive, who are open, who are seeking, who are looking, who are expecting. Just, we started in verse 29, just whatever, 19 verses above that, Jesus says, seek. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open. Those who ask will receive. Jesus wants us to be seekers, to be open, to be receptive. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews eleven sixteen. God rewards people who try to find him. This is what God wants us to be open, receptive, seeking, looking, expecting, not uh, walls up, reactive, not so worried. There was a, a, a great seminary professor uh, probably back in the 1950s his name was Manford George Goodski, and his um, testimony was famous uh, because he didn't set out to be a seminary professor. He set out to be a lawyer. And to do that at that time, he started by teaching in some one-room schoolroom up in Canada in the middle of a farm community. Hardly any people there, hardly any kids there, but he was there teaching, studying for his exams to become a lawyer. And he said no one in the community was particularly religious. A lot of people went to church, he said, because they were bored. They sat outside church, even when church was going, just to gossip about their neighbors. He said there was one guy who was particularly religious. We all kind of made fun of him, he says. So He says, but one day I was walking through fields. Do I have this quote up? Oh, he says, one day I was walking through a field and I just had an epiphany. It just struck me. And you know how that happens. It's when something that you know is true hits you in a more visceral way, like a real way. He says, I had this epiphany. If God exists, he can see me right now. And he said, I froze. I took off my hat. It's the 30s, he said. We took off our hats for women, elderly and important people, and surely God must have been important, he says. So I took off my hat, and I stood there, frozen, and then he said, I prayed this prayer. God, I don't know whether you are there or not, and I don't mean anything bad by that. I just don't know, but I want to know, and you know that too, so please show me if you're real. And he said, immediately, he says, I felt as if something very important had happened. And the trajectory of his life changed, and he became one of the great seminary professors of the early 1900s out of Columbia because God showed him himself, and he says it's because he became a seeker. He wanted, he went from being, his words, he went from being an agnostic to a seeker. And when he became more receptive to seeing God, God showed him himself and everything had changed for him. God wants us to be receptive, not reactive. That's the experience God wants us to have. Receptivity, seeking, looking, seeing. What does God want us to do? Final point, if you have any questions, send them, no pressure. What does God want us to do? If blind faith is not the thing that God expects, but responding in faith, 
then for me, the, the thing we got to do is respond in faith. And the more we respond in faith, the more we will see Jesus more. God wants you to respond in faith. It is by God's grace that he speaks to us and reveals himself to us. But after the grace, he expects us to move, to step. Martin Luther King Jr. says, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step, right? That's the responding in faith. You assume that the rest of the stairs are going to be there when you take that first step. This is what God wants us to do. Practice responding in faith to the ways that Jesus reveals himself. Jesus says he will be a sign. We will have the resurrection and his cross is the primary sign. And he also says that something greater is in our midst. He tells us that when two or three of us are together, Jesus is present right now with us. And so our duty to that grace is to respond in faith. Like Hebrews says, faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. It's not about being blind. It's about trying to see the unseen. And we do that through faith. Responding in faith to what we see and hear helps us to see the unseen. There is a whole reality behind what our eyes, our natural eyes can see. And faith is about trying to see the unseen. And as we Respond in faith, we will do that. Tomorrow, our land celebrates Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. I bring him up because the night before his death, April 4th, he dies, is killed. April 3rd, he gives one last speech. And the last paragraph of that speech is eerie. He talks about he doesn't know how much longer he has in this mission. He talks about he's probably himself not going to make it to the promised land of liberation. But he's seen some things and he wants to end his speech with what he has seen. And just to give you even more background so you're in with it. He's going to use the story of Moses who led his people out of slavery into the promised land. Moses was not, I got, I got a slide for this. Moses led his people to the promised land, but Moses himself was not allowed to go in. He had, he had done an action that rebelled against God, and God says, you can't go in, but I'll let you see it. And he takes him to the top of Mount Nebo, and Moses is able to look over into the promised land as, as, as a kind of final vindication of his life's work of leading the people out. And, and Martin Luther King is going to use this story to talk about what he's seen. 30 seconds, would you take a listen? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night's 
we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That's it. Last speech ever given before his untimely death the next day. And he's able to give such a prophetic speech, powerful speech, because of the vision that he had. He looked over, he's seen, he knows they're going to get there, even if it's not with him, because his eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. I got to be honest, I'm a little jealous that you guys don't clap that much, but I get it, it's cool. That was at a sanitation strike, a worker strike, mixed crowd, black, white, all the sanitation workers were thinking about going on strike, and he was there to encourage them to continue the fight for equality and for better working conditions. And he ends his speaking career with what the Lord has shown him. And he's able to be so powerful and prophetic because of his response in faith the receiving of what God has shown him, being able to see the unseen, right? We as a people are going to make it. Maybe not with me, but we will make it. Incredible. And I think it's an encouragement to us that when we respond in faith, which is what God wants us to do, practice responding in faith to the little things that God shows us. The, The phrase that I use all the time for me is that God often gives us enough light to take the next step. Enough light, that's all I ever pray for. Enough light to take the next step. And that's how we practice responding in faith to what God is revealing to us so that we can see the unseen. Questions, comments, criticisms, concerns. Anybody throw some tomatoes? We can do that too. Great. There are no questions. I've convinced you all. I appreciate that. Here's my conclusion. What does Jesus want us to see about him in this passage? What does Jesus want us to know, feel, do when it comes to him and his mission in this passage? He doesn't expect blind faith, only that we respond in faith to what we've seen. That's what he's going to hold us accountable to. That Jesus wants us to have an experience, our life, our character, the quality of life that he wants for us is that we'd be receptive people, seeking people, open people, honest people, looking people. This is what, not reactive, not reactive, uh, seeking, intentional, purposeful. And lastly, he wants us to respond in faith so that we can continue to receive the kind of sight that faith brings to see the unseen. And with that, would you pray with me? Let's pray.